Yes, and we are back. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 286, and it's called, And Then You Step In to the Water. This episode, well, it's about a lot of things, because they always are, right? (laughs) But this episode, I want to give you a way of understanding what's happening right now. Because there's a lot going on. Are you with me on this? Can you think of a time in our lifetime when there were more things happening, things stacked on things, events stacked on events? So it's really, really important in days like these that we pay attention, that we are intentional about the stories that we are telling about the events that are unfolding around us and at a deep personal level that the story that we are telling about who we are, each of us, in the midst of all of this. It's really, really important to pay attention to those stories and then when you get a good story or a good way, a better way, a more helpful way of understanding what all this is, well... That's gold. So that's what I want to do. That's what I want to give you in this episode. Um, Before we get into that, I have a new book coming out. It's called Everything is Spiritual. comes out September 15th. It's part memoir, part confession, part extended riff on the evolutionary nature of reality. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since a book came out. And honestly, it's... It's like the first time, uh, particularly the nature of this book is different than anything I've ever done, but it's also, this is book number 11, and yet it feels like the first one at some level. So um, there's an audio book that I recently recorded, so you can pre-order all that. It comes out September 15th. I'm so excited for you to read it, honestly. Uh, The first first paperback, like the first print versions came to the house this week. And I got to open up the box and hold it for the first time. Oh, man. Oh, and then um, while we're at it, Halloween, October 31st, is a Saturday. And you know um, my beloved friend Elizabeth Gilbert, because she's been on the Robcast oftentimes. You know her from all sorts of things. But she and I are doing a day event together, like a virtual event. It was originally going to be in person, but those sorts of things aren't happening. So we're doing a day uh, called How to Use Your Imagination. Because there's imagination like creative power to conjure up new worlds and to see new possibilities. There's that. But then there's also the underbelly of imagination. Like when you cook up all sorts of possible things that could go wrong and you become like catatonic from fear or you don't do the next step because you're imagining all of the ways that it could not go the way you want it to. That's also, that's imagination, but in a different way. So imagination sometimes can have a, be like a double-edged sword. So we're going to be exploring um, imagination from all these different angles. And you know, when she and I get together, that's just a good time. So you can find that through my site or uh, the the group that is um, organized it for us is called celebrateyourlife.com. You can find everything there. Um, So there's some things going on. But now, I want to give you a way of seeing 
these days that we're living in. Um, and I want to take you way back to uh, an earlier story in the Gospel of Mark, because as usual, ancient wisdom is incredibly helpful uh, when you're navigating whatever it is that you're navigating, when you can draw on thou literally thousands of years of cumulative human wisdom that can be really grounding and centering when you feel like we haven't ever been in this new place before. So here's what I want to do. I want to read you just a few lines from the Gospel of Mark. There are four Gospels about the life of Jesus, and each uh, Gospel writer has a particular story they're telling of this story, a version, like their camera angle on the events. But notice how the Gospel of Mark, it starts off with John the Baptist. He's sort of the opening band for Jesus. But then notice this line in Mark, because Mark just jumps right into it. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So in this gospel of Mark, he's telling you the story of Jesus. And right away, he has Jesus beginning by being baptized in the Jordan key detail in the Jordan. We'll get to that in a minute. And once again, these ancient stories that talk about heaven opening and talk about prophets baptizing rabbi, like, hang with me here because, as always, we're listening for the human heartbeat of this. Now, what's interesting when you read a story like this is there are key words. He enters into the water and then spirit descends like a dove, and there's a voice of love and blessing. Now, to readers familiar with the backstory, this story is loaded with all sorts of hints and allusions to an earlier story. Entering into water like a dove and spirit are key players in a much earlier story. Because these people, this John the Baptist and this Jesus, they come from a Jewish tribe, and this Jewish tribe had a creation story, and that creation story uh, is a poem, Genesis chapter 1, and in that creation story, it begins with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And in the original Hebrew language, the word hovering is the sound of, uh, it's the word used to describe a, a bird's wings, like when it hovers, like the flapping of a bird's wings. And then Spirit enters into waters, and in Hebrew consciousness, waters are like chaos, the abyss, darkness, the unknown. And then out of the waters comes all this new diversity and growth and color and texture and shape and land and trees and vegetation and fruit and food and animals and people. So in this ancient story of creation, the story is about spirit entering waters and out of those unknown, chaotic, dark waters comes all sorts of new life. So when these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, when these gospel writers tell the story of Jesus, 
they tell it by beginning. Mark right here, right away, right away at the beginning of chapter one, the gospel writer Matthew takes a little while to get to the baptism story. But the Jesus story and his work begins with him entering into waters. It says, Spirit descends on him like a dove, a reference to a bird hovering, and then Spirit, a voice, speaks a goodness and blessing on this moment. So you see what this account is about is the storyteller is linking the beginning of Jesus' work to the beginning of creation. Now, it's poetry, it's symbol, it's reference, it's subtle. It's planted right there, just below the surface. This Jesus story is about new creation. There's that creation, but now there's new creation. Spirit is doing what Spirit has always done. Enter in to the disequilibrium, to the disorientation, to the upheaval, to the confusion, to the abyss, to the unknown. Spirit enters into it, and then out of it brings about some new creation. So you see how these stories work at a deep level of like psyche, soul, heart, is when you find yourself in those waters. And when your senses, when your emotions, when, when that part of you panics, locks up, flirts with despair, are we going to make it? Are we going to be okay? The power of these sorts of stories is they shape you. And you go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Anytime we feel those waters, oh, yeah, this is, how, this, this is when you pay attention even more. Because who knows what new creation may come out of even this. And so... These people that Jesus comes from, they have a collective memory of something new coming out of this present chaos, formlessness, out of this water. Yeah, so it's like if you knew those stories, if you were tuned into these themes, you'd be like, oh, I get what's happening here. Yeah. And it's incredibly important for us to ground ourselves in a story like this, in moments like this. Because it's easy, right, for your head to spin. It's easy to be like, how, how, how much longer is this going on? Where is this headed? What will happen with the election in November? Will cases continue to go up? Will they go down? What is going to happen to the death toll? What about business, finance, stock market, jobs? What are we going to do about school? All of these sorts of things. There's the very real, natural, normal human response to this. But if you're grounded in this ancient way of seeing things, you go, okay, I'll give all the normal human responses all the, all the time they need. Today's an off day. This week is a little strange, a little frustrated about that. Okay, I'll give that the expression it deserves. 
but I'm also going to keep in mind, oh yeah, yeah, this is the kind of moment when you keep your eyes open for the new creation, which may be coming into being. Now, here's why this is interesting to me. First off, the beginning of the Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' work, it begins with a word of blessing and goodness. This is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased. Now, what I love about it is he hasn't done much of anything. Yeah. So the divine love, the divine blessing rests on him without him having done anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is a word about what it means to be human. Yeah, there's a goodness inherent in creation. There's a goodness to you being you. I was talking to a friend recently, and she was um, she was struggling with all the sorts of things everybody struggles with. And I and I said, you know, it's good to be you. It's it's good to be you. She was like, oh my word, I needed to hear that. I was like, you should. Why don't you get a piece of paper out? and write down, it's good to be, and then had her write in her name. And so she wrote it out, and I was like, hey, why don't you write it again? And then she wrote it again, and I'm telling you, she got so, it was like excited, but in like a deep, moving sort of way. Yeah, I was like, it's good to be you. Yeah, yeah, there's a goodness there. Do you see how if you're doing your work in the world to find out if you're good, then your work is loaded it's got, it's got an energetic imprint on it that's off. You've seen this, correct? Maybe you've felt it within yourself you've, or you've seen it in others. They're doing what they do, but their gift to the world has a question mark baked into it. Am I okay? Am I worthy? Am I good enough? But when somebody has already accepted that they are accepted, when you have made peace with our goodness that is yours, irrespective of what you've done or, or haven't done. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be you. Then you just give your gift in the world, and there's nothing else hanging in the balance. There aren't any larger questions of ag- identity or worth or value or legitimacy. Yeah, it's good to be you. Yeah, so this Jesus story begins with this sort of surreal, uh, fantastical story of a voice. Because um, in the first century, that's how people talked. That's how they told stories. Uh, this divine voice of blessing, a blessing that rests on all of creation. Because the story never begins with how bad it is. The story always begins with how good it is. Now, it loses the way. It goes off track. Obviously, we human beings have a tremendous capacity to make a mess of things. But that never eradicates an essential goodness that sits at the heart of the human experience in this good world. Yeah, it's important. It's important that these are the kind of stories that we're telling. Yeah. And in in the Hebrew consciousness from which these stories arise in that creation poem, the, the story starts with a goodness, with a divine declaration of it's good, it's good, it's good. It doesn't lose its way until later. So what you'll often notice is some people start uh, some people start the story later. 
chapter three in the Bible is where things go off the rails if you're, you know, if you're keeping track at home. What's interesting is you can tell whether somebody's story, whether they started the story in chapter one or chapter three. Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that sense when you're talking to someone that the whole thing has already been lost. It's all broken, and it's a low-level despair. It's like a tonal frequency or a vibration almost that you pick up, that the whole thing's sort of lost, and then maybe a couple good things might happen here or there, but those are the aberrations. You can feel it. You can feel it in the way the person is talking about their life, the world, the things that happened there this week, or when somebody's story starts in chapter one. You can feel that one too. Yeah, they're not surprised by the goodness. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing has miraculous dimensions to it. Of course, of course it does. Yeah, yeah, they're not taken off guard by joy, by creativity, by empathy, by compassion. Yeah, yeah, because they, they have a different starting point. They have a different starting point. For many people, especially in the Western world, and especially if they had uh, exposure to a number of religious traditions, they were essentially told a whole version of the story that's unfolding here that starts in chapter 3. <laughs> that it's all broken, you're a wreck, there's no good within you. Yeah, and, and no wonder those stories don't transform the heart. No wonder those stories have very little constructive power in the world. It's like they've given up before they even start. But stories that start in chapter 1 with goodness, of course we're here to help each other, to make interesting things, to tell good stories, write good songs, start new businesses, help each other heal. Yeah, of course. What else would we do? <laughs> yeah, do you see how these these fundamental stories that we are telling about each other, about ourselves, about creation, about the world, they, they work on us often at like a transrational. It's both beyond um, but below the mind. They, they, these are the places we actually live from. Yeah, and in the story that these gospel writers are telling about the Christ, the explosion of Christ consciousness into the world, which has been here the whole time, but in this first century Jesus, this itinerant revolutionary, they begin with a goodness that rests on all of us, that rests on him. That's the starting point. Now, here's where things get interesting politically and geographically, because there's just that little detail that is thrown in that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, small town in Galilee, farming area, and was baptized by John in the Jordan classic example of the depth of an ancient text, the subtlety and nuance that is easy to just skate right on by. Now, here's why this is interesting. In the first century world, there was a giant religious, industrial, military, economic complex called the Temple. And among these people, among this tribe, this was like the center of everything. So this was where, uh, and there was a widening gap between rich and poor, try to imagine, and uh, the economic system was tied up with uh, military, essentially violence, and the protection of wealth. Once again, try to imagine. And 
So when you were going to be baptized as essentially a, a marker of religious identification, new life, cleansing, uh, the Hebrew word was mikvah. There were mikvah pools where you would walk down into like a, like a small pool or bath and into the waters and then come out as sort of a ceremonial washing and identification. You would go to the temple area in Jerusalem, this massive temple structure with all these outer courts, and then on the south side of the, of the temple mount, um, like sort of built on a mountain, each of the different religious groups had their own mikvah. And so to make it official, uh, this cleansing, this divine cleansing or identification, you would do a mikvah with one of the different religious groups. So in those days, religious groups were quite divided. <laughs> Once again, try to imagine. So there was an institution and a structure that legitimized and validated your identification and connection with the divine. Now, the Jordan was a river kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You with me on this? So when the John the Baptist comes, baptizing in the Jordan, do you see the political, social, religious, even economic implications of this? The John the Baptist movement was saying... You can have a direct experience and connection of the divine apart from the dominant institutional structures of authority and legitimacy that say the only thing that's really legit is if you do your baptism through us. So when Jesus comes and he's baptized by John, he is reaffirming the availability of everyone, a direct union and connection with the divine without any need for giant institutional structures. Now, uh, we'll come back to this, but the implications of this, and once again, we're going to move way beyond religion here in just a minute. Now, a third detail, and then we're going to circle back. Stay with me here. In this gospel, in the gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism, he enters into the waters. He comes back out, this powerful symbol of new creation. But then, it says, at once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted. And then it goes on to tell about his wilderness temptation. So this powerful moment of affirmation and this moment of divine blessing, this moment of the inauguration of new creation is immediately followed by a difficult time of testing in the wilderness. Yeah, and in that time in the wilderness, there is the loneliness, there is the difficulty of the wilderness, there is the question of resources, will there be enough? 
he is tempted to take shortcuts to the work he's going to do. The time in the wilderness calls on him to trust that this path he's walking will have provided for him everything he needs to walk this path. Yeah, yeah. Do you see how this story? It's a story about new creation. And when you say yes to the call to new creation, when you say yes to the sense you have that you're here to contribute, that you're here to give yourself to the world, that there's something for you to do, and it might not look like what anybody else has done. It's followed by testing, difficulty, some struggle, questions about resources. Any of you have an idea about the next thing you're here to do? And it's welling up within you. And you know it's the step forward. And you know it's the next step. You know it's the thing that lights you up. It's the thing, it's like the the thud in your chest that tells you, oh yeah, this is how it goes next. This is this is the next step with this kid. This is the next step with this work. This is the next thing I'm here to create. The, I think this is where I'm I'm I think this is where spirit is leading. I think this is the next step on the path. Yeah, d- yeah, it it may bring some wilderness. Well, I don't know if I'm going to have enough to do it. I don't yeah. It's that slightly panicky, trembly, awe-inspiring feeling of what have I gotten myself into? Like can I just do this? Can can I just make this? Can I just try this? Is it is it that simple? Because what will so-and-so think? What will so-and-so think? What happens if I run it? Yeah. Yeah, welcome to how new creation works. Welcome to how new creation works. And then in these stories, after his time in the wilderness, then he sets out, and what the storytellers keep telling you is Jesus sets out to announce the kingdom of God, the realm of the divine which is essentially an announcement. There's another way to order the world. It doesn't have to be like this. And he continually gives images and metaphors and teachings um, about this kingdom of God, a very particular phrase that was a loaded political, because everything's political, obviously. All of us, we're all deeply political. Uh, If you take a shower today. Yeah, political act, of course, because water came out of the faucet. Well, who did that? Who arranged for the water to come out? Who sits on the board of water something? Uh, Who elected that person? Who hired that person? How do we get water? How do we have streets? All of this basic stuff that you and I need to live, yeah, that's all political. It's how we arrange ourselves together. Everything is political. So even this notion that some people are into politics and some people aren't is a completely insane, ridiculous notion, right? We're all deeply political. Politics is how we have arranged our common life together, and we're all participating in that. It's just a question of ignorance versus awareness. Um, How tuned in are we to how we've arranged, or how ignorant are we of how things are arranged? And obviously what's happening right now is millions and millions of people are awaking to how much say 
we actually have. Because if we remain ignorant and think it's for somebody else, then other people step in who may have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> Are you with me on that? Whew. Yeah. Brutal. Now, but let me stay on here. We can go in lots of different directions. The kingdom of God is Jesus' insistence that things can be ordered in a different way. There's a new ordering that's about to burst forth. We could reorder the world so that the structures of power could help everybody. The world could reorder, could, could be reordered so there would be justice for everybody, meaning generosity, meaning the abundance of the earth could be properly distributed among everybody. Yeah, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Now, why do I tell you all the story? Because we're in one of those moments. We're, we're always in those moments, but it's especially acute right now. We're in a great disruption, which is always about how does the world get ordered? And this pandemic, the upheaval surrounding police brutality and Black Lives Matter and standing up for the horrific wrongs that have occurred again and again and again without proper accountability. Yes, that's what's in the air, my friends. That's what you're feeling, is there's a massive reordering in the air. Yeah, yeah, it's like we're all in the waters together. And you can panic, and you can blame, or you can see it as an ancient pattern of entering into the waters of disorientation, disruption, upheaval, protest, with the trust, with the abiding assurance that there's new creation just waiting to burst forth. Now, let's get quite practical about this. There is a question that comes with all this. It's a question in the air right now. It's a question that not a lot are voicing in this way, but, but you're seeing lots of people voice different pieces of it. Here's the question. Who shapes the world? Who decides how the world gets ordered? Who shapes where we go as people, as societies, as countries, as nations? Who shapes the world? Three thoughts. Number one. You can live with a passive understanding of who shapes the world. Somebody else shapes the world, and then you just try to find your way in this world that somebody else created and runs. Uh, when somebody is stuck in this storytelling, um, the language is often about how it's happening to us. Look what they did. Somebody else made the world, and you just live in it. But when you come to see the world through the lens of new creation, then what you'll begin to notice is that understanding, that story no longer works for you. Yeah. So this is why, uh, like when you see protests, the person who says, what does that matter? They just took to the street. It doesn't really matter. Nothing ever changes. This is somebody stuck in a passive understanding of how the world gets created. But the invitation in this Jesus story, which has always been the invitation for all humans everywhere, is to come to see that we all shape the world together. 
That's why a protest is so powerful. It's because a protest... It, and someone, well, they didn't get anything done. There wasn't any actual policy that got changed because of that particular protest. Yes, but but thousands and thousands... Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But here's the thing. Thousands of people took to the streets. Which means thousands of people, their awareness, their consciousness, their understanding that we do not have to be passive and just let other people make the world, but we all can have a voice and take part in shaping the world together. Do you see how this works at such deep, deep levels of soul? This is why the exploding movement all around us to get more people registered to vote and to fight voter suppression because it's in the interest of certain political parties, namely, like you wouldn't know who I was talking about. You literally have had Republican politicians say out loud in public, we don't want more people to vote because that won't go well for us. And so you have the very natural, needed movement countering that, which is we want everybody to be registered to vote. We want everybody to vote. Yes, because we all shape the world together. Yeah, this has a quantum dimension to it. In quantum physics, we talk about there. it's a participatory universe. There is no observation of one. The observation affects what's being observed. Yeah, everything is related to everything else. Yeah, the world is way more malleable than we first realized. Yeah, it's not fixed. It can be changed. You, you could run for president with zero experience or competence and win, and in the process, completely take over, hijack, and reshape a political party, which we've watched over the past, what, four five years. One of the lessons from this president, especially, and I want to speak specifically to those of you who just the mention of the president of the United States of America makes you furious. You're so angry. You're so filled with rage about what this particular president has done and not done, the abuses, the corruption, the lying, the... We could go on and on, correct? Yeah, because I'm with you on that. But here's the thing. What this president has shown is how shapeable the world is, how malleable it is. If there's any lesson to be learned here, yes, you can be angry. Yes, how in the world did that entire political party let this person take them over? It's like zombies or they're like they're hypnotized or something. You can read it through, through the horrific negativity of it, but you can also say, wait, 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 wait. If the world can be shaped that way for those purposes, then that means it can be shaped. That means that it's actually more flexible, more pliable than we first thought it was. Well, imagine if lots of voices got together, rooted in compassion, character, integrity, generosity, whose ear was bent to the cry of everybody with the boot of the system on their neck. Yeah. Well, then it can be shaped the other way 
as well. You with me on that? Do you feel that? Let's take all your frustration and anger over the last four years. All the times you checked the news and were like, oh my God, I cannot believe that the tweet said what? What, what, what? Those leaders stood by again while this was said, done, organized? Yeah. Let's convert all that into an awareness that our lives and our lives together and the world itself can be shaped almost shockingly easily. Yeah, yeah, it's true for your life, it's true for mine. That deep-seated passive disempowerment that says, this is happening to me and nothing I can do about it. That story can be retold because there's always, 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 always some move you can make, some power, will, and intention that is still yours, some step you can follow through on. Yeah. Yeah, do you see how deep all this goes? So one of the things here, especially as we head into this fall and things continue to get dodgy and dicey, is to always, always have your guard up, your radar on for that passive, there's nothing I can do here. I'm just a victim of this thing that's happening. No. 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 Who shapes the world? We do. We do. And it starts with each of us. Yeah. You've always got options. You've always got moves you can make. I have this friend. He works in entertainment. He works in showbiz. <laughs> and he talks. Oh, how, uh, how can I, how do I say it? He talks like he's spoofing himself, but he kind of is, but he's also sometimes serious. And he'll literally sometimes be like, hey, how you doing, man? He'll be like, I'm making big moves. <laughs> just, just making big moves. And I love it because he'll say it, and I, and I feel like I'm on an episode of Entourage. You know what I mean? Like, making big moves. But I, I, it's kind of endearing and kind of ridiculous. But uh, take that for yourself. Take that for yourself. Yeah. Maybe it's just some small little gesture nobody even notices that you're doing to change things up, to head in a slightly different direction, to tweak things a bit. But just just, uh, just have that voice in your head. I'm making big moves. Because obviously the little moves are actually the big moves. It's actually how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is you just order your life in a particular way. It's all of the subtle, almost unnoticeable ways. For instance, you decide your not going to be giving that particular issue your energies. No one knows that you're simply not giving that energies anymore. Or that particular person, you're simply not going to let them rent free space in your head. It's a subtle move. No one even knows it but you, and yet the whole thing turns just a bit because that's now all energy that you would have been spending on that that you're not. Uh, by the way, we'll talk about the Internet in a second because this is all part of that. Um, yeah. Just tell yourself I'm making big moves here. <laughs> making big moves. Oh, where should we? Oh, yeah, okay. Seriously, by the way, we're just getting going here. I'm just realizing I had a couple notes jotted down here. Actually, I had a whole outline here that I'm realizing we're just getting started. Now, um, the reason why I told you about the Jordan, John is baptizing Jesus in the Jordan. 
and the baptism out in the middle of nowhere, because the powerful thing about the Jordan is it's not politically been co-opted by any empire or regime. So when Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan, outside of the conventional economic, military, religious institutions of the day, Jesus is essentially saying, everybody everywhere can be in union with the divine without any institutions. It's totally legit and doesn't need the stamp of anybody. By the way, you know I do these sessions with people who are making things, doing things, and we watch as people get unstuck and figure out their next step. So over the past, well, ever since April, uh, day after day after day, I get to interact with all you people. And you find it fascinating how many people questions of legitimacy and authority are at the core of their stuckness. The question, who am I to do this? Uh, Someone else is legit. Somebody else has authority to do this. Somebody else, their efforts are actually valid. And, And what we always, always, always get to do is invite them to leave behind those notions. Man, you're out by the Jordan. You don't need the temple. People will say, like, well, who am I to write that book? Well, who are you not to write that book? Well, other people, you know, and I'll say, well, um, you're telling me that you had this experience, and now you're creating a whatever to help people who have had a similar experience. You're writing about it. You're talking about it. You're organizing a thing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have that experience? Yeah, I did. Did you go through that as a kid? Or whatever it is? Yeah, okay. Then you're an authority. (laughs) Because that happened, and you were a part of it. That's all you need. That's all you need. So... So uh, you, it would really be, it's amazing how many people with education and talent and all are still trapped in the temple. And I got to have some official structure when they've already experienced just being who they are and already and following where it leads it. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. So you see this issue of the Jordan is alive and well. Because this question for so many in the modern world, who are you to do this? Yeah, yeah. So you can see, you can see how with new creation, if there's a new creation, it will fundamentally threaten the current creation. What spirit does is disrupt the current arrangement regime or creation with a vision of a new and more full, more diverse, more inclusive, more dynamic creation. There is generally someone somewhere who has a vested interest in this particular arrangement and structure. And this particular arrangement and structure will inevitably have some sort of authority structure. Somebody somewhere will see themselves as the gatekeeper of how it's supposed to be done. Uh, Generally self-appointed, by the way. But when we give those people too much power, then we've essentially kept them in power. So, So oftentimes the great movement of new creation as an individual as a family, as a system, as a business, as a whatever, creative enterprise, as a nation, generally new creation will be profoundly disruptive because it will be challenging the vested power structures 
of the current creation. Jesus, by the way, spoiler alert, gets killed. They execute him. That's where the story goes. So when we talk about new creation, of course there will be risk. Of course it's unknown. Of course it may be opposed. Of course it may be resisted violently by whoever has a vested interest in the system, by family members, by competitors, by former colleagues, by best friends who don't get it. New creation is inherently disruptive. Spirit is inherently disruptive because there's generally someone somewhere who has a vested interest, read social, ego, financial, has a vested interest in this particular arrangement. Now, there's been another, uh, there was another shooting this week, uh, horrific, another, an- I can't even say it, another one. Uh, this one, a man is shot in front of his kids. Um, all the same issues come up, the rage, the anger that this would happen again. And uh, NBA, we're in the middle of NBA playoffs. And NBA players decided to boycott the games. And it's just sports, but it's also not just sports. Are you with me? Sports is metaphor. Are you with me on this? Yeah, sports is in many ways how we learn about life. Because everything that's happening, it's just a sport, and yet it's not. It's a living, breathing metaphor for how life works. So the NBA players got together and boycotted. An assistant to the vice president of the United States, was asked what he thinks about NBA players boycotting because of another incidence of police brutality. And the assistant to the vice president of the United States of America said, oh, that? Silly. That's the word. That's the word he used. Silly. Why? Because somebody somewhere, has a vested interest in the authority structures being preserved as they are. And when others use whatever voice they have to insist on a new ordering and a new arrangement, because the current one is unjust, it's unfair, it literally leads to killings on the streets of innocent people? Yeah. The first thing that will happen is those with a vested interest will have to dismiss it. Call it silly. What is it, a bunch of athletes? Shouldn't they just shut up and dribble? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is how, my friends, this is how it's worked for thousands of years. When people are discovering their voice, when they're moving from passive to active, when they're discovering that we can actually play a role in shaping the world in new ways. Whoever has their hands on the levers of power will inevitably first off dismiss because somebody somewhere always has a vested interest in things remaining how they are. By the way, it's really interesting. There's there's a really interesting thing happening in the Gospels. Consistently, the religious leaders are trying to figure out where Jesus gets his authority. Hey, you'll always notice this. Well, who are they to say that? Yeah, whenever you've heard this, who are you to write this? Who are you to try this? Who are you to insist on that? Who are you to start that business? Who are you to teach students in that way when this is the way we've always 
done it. Who are who are you to explore these new ways of helping people in therapy? Who who are you to try doing heart surgery in a different way that it's been done? Who are you to reimagine policing um, in a community? Who are you to? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's. These are all questions of authority, and these are all questions of who are you to have a say. And the great movement, the great arc of human history is everybody, more and more and more people having a say. By the way, there's there's one which is so genius level. Jesus is asked, um, by whose authority are you doing this? Because the religious establishment, they only know authority structures. And he's deeply unsettling to their organizing of the world because he simply... He's just doing the work. And they're like, whose authority, by whose authority are you doing this? What makes you legit? And Jesus says, well, you tell me, where did, uh, where did John get his authority? Because Jesus has been baptized by John. So when they say to him, where do you get your authority? He says, well, where did John get his authority? Because all of the people loved John the Baptist. They all knew he was a prophet who was calling out the injustice of the system, the greed and corruption of the industrial, military, religious, economic complex. So you see the, Jesus, the genius move, the Jesus, the genius, the Jesus, the genius move, is Jesus says, when they ask Jesus about his authority, he says, well, you tell me, where did John get his authority? Because if these leaders say, well, John doesn't have any authority— well, everybody acknowledged that John had authority, so they can't say John didn't have authority, but if they say John acknowledged that John did have authority, well, who did John baptize with his authority? Jesus. Do you see the loops on this? God, it's just so brilliant. Yeah, because what he's doing, you see what he's doing there is he's saying, I know you have your structures, but I'm talking about what's actually happening. I'm talking about what's actually going on. So for those of you, by the way, who, who flirt with despair about, is anything ever going to change? Because it looks like the people in power still don't get it. Remember, power structures are downstream from consciousness. So when more and more and more people are becoming aware of something, when more and more and more people are waking up, or just do it generationally, when you look to er younger people, earlier generations, and you see what they've woken up to, what they're aware of, it's just a matter of time. See, many people get it confused. They switch power structures and consciousness and just say, well, because those people are in power, how is anything, every, anything ever going to change? But you have to switch it around and realize all the power structures flow they're all downstream from consciousness. So you want to see where it's going to go? Go upstream and look at where more and more people are headed. So what we know is more and more and more and more people are becoming aware of our earth crisis. More and more and more people are becoming aware of the integration of body, soul, spirit. More and more and more people are becoming aware of the systemic racial injustice baked in to the founding of this country, to the founding of police systems and structures. More and more people are becoming aware of 
how much of the privilege that a few have had has actually shut lots of people out from their own empowered path to a better life. Yeah, so it might not immediately right now look like everything has changed, but if you're looking carefully at what's happening to consciousness, God, it's just rising like crazy. And it will inevitably shape power structures. That's how it's worked for thousands of years. Man, oh man, I know this moment we're in. Let's do another one, shall we? Third idea here. New creation. You and I, all of us, new creation. Our participation in new creation. You becoming aware that spirit is always present in your life especially in your confusion, in the mess, in your questions. There's always an invitation lurking in whatever you're going through for new creation. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. What's the next step? What's the new thing that wants to be birthed in your life? So your energies then, you give your energies to new creation. That's how it works. You get better and better and better at directing and focusing and giving your energies to new creation. So uh, let me think about it. Okay, so let's talk about the internet. Do you ever get lost down some weird rabbit hole in the internet? And you're like, where did that time go? Yeah, it's easy, or you get, or or you went down some person who's doing something wrong, or something dumb, or something stupid, or, and it you become fixated on. It, and then you get another example and another example. A friend of mine um, sent me, uh, he sent me something that was like another example of somebody being an idiot. You know what I'm talking about? Something maybe it was. I think it was about the pandemic and somebody completely ignoring all the data. Um, even like the, the fact that face masks have become like a political thing. Uh, and I, uh, this is a little while ago. I just asked the friend, why did you send that to me? Um, cause I like asking people just very straightforward questions, not loaded with any judgments. Why did you send that to me? Do I need another example of people missing the point of people not taking this seriously of people using, or, uh, especially once in a while, somebody will send me something about religion um, why do I need this? Do I need to know <laughs> that religious people often uh, do completely insane things? <laughs> I'm laughing as I say this because um, perhaps you're one of those people who's constantly fixating on people who don't get it, which is a which is a troublesome phrase anyway. But how does this help you participate in new creation? That is the question I ask you. Everything you click. Everything you send to somebody, everything you ruminate on. Uh, my son Trace was just telling me about these texts he gets from a friend who just never stops sending him texts about articles about people that they're angry with because they don't get it. Well, how, how does this help you participate in new creation? Because here's the thing. You and I get to decide what we give our energies to. So obviously, 
being fairly tuned in to what's happening in the world. I read the New York Times each morning. Uh, Intercept um, is another is a is a news site that I check on a regular basis. Those are just a couple. I get their take on things. Helpful, yeah. It's helpful to be informed. Maybe you're going through like a period where not helpful to be informed. I got you. As a general rule, it's, it's it's fairly good to at least have a sense of what's going on. I'll just you know say that as broadly and basically as possible. So there's a basic, but beyond that, what are you doing? What are you doing with your energies? And the problem, the the new phenomenon that has emerged is it's possible to spend an extraordinary amount of energy giving your headspace to all of the ridiculous ways people have lost the plot because we have this thing called the internet, which is before us. If we choose to, we can have it with us all the time, everywhere we go, giving us a constant fire hose of what's wrong. And the problem is over time, it shapes you. Um, but it's also quite boring. I don't actually need more examples of ordering of the world that isn't interesting or healthy or helpful. What's interesting is new creation. Who's got something new to contribute? Who's doing something interesting? Who's standing up and calling out, calling out a present ordering and showing us how we could actually reorder that in a new, better, efficient, more inclusive, more helpful way? Yeah, you see that? Is that you? Especially over this past year. Not just about information, not just about insight, not just uh, getting a sense of where people are coming from, but have you spent hours and hours and have you given precious energy? Have you given, because energy is power, have you given power to people, events, scandals, uh news stories that are a veiled form of clickbait and it's actually energy that you could be giving to new creation and if you find that convicting yeah good 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 because you and i are here to participate in new creation and in this ancient jesus story his whole work it begins with him stepping into the water. So it's just a river. It's just a river, the Jordan. It's just out in the middle of nowhere, out beyond the institutions and the power structures. It's just the beginning of the work of an itinerant revolutionary rabbi who announces a new ordering of things. He announces a good news. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, and yet, it speaks deeply to a shared humanity, a communion of the saints that we're all participating in. There's talking, there's watching, there's worrying, and then there's something else, which is stepping into the water. Yeah, yeah. And what's happened, going back to the internet, is a whole world of chatter is now with us. A whole world of people talking, ruminating, worrying, uh, calling others out, canceling each other, an, 
uh, it's a it's a constant chatter. It's critical. It's hateful. It's scared. Most of it's scared. Uh, somebody will tell me about something that they saw on Twitter, and I will feel energetically the fear. That person thinks they're smart. They think they're calling that person out. They think they're fear, fear. It's like a child. It's a child. It's a scared child. It's often how how it how it how how I pick it up energetically. The heart picks it up is, yeah, people terrified about this world we find ourselves in. So the invitation more than ever is to be somebody who's stepping in to the waters. Yeah. Stepping in to the disorientation, to the confusion, to uh, the mess, to the inefficiency, to, uh, and it's education and it's healthcare. And it's activism, and it's art, and it's, you with me on that? Law. Oh, yeah, sure, all of it, all of it. They're stepping in in their area. You're stepping in your area with, with those kids in that neighborhood, with those people. Stepping into the water. Let's, uh, let's see what new creation there is here. Yeah. Let's see. Let's not stand at a distance and hurl opinions. Uh, that's easy. Let's not just watch what other people are doing, completely blind to the courage and integrity and character it required for them to try that, um, but just throw stones, because we think it should, although we have no idea what we're talking about. No, no, that's easy. Lots of people can do that. Or worrying where it's headed, a passive, uh, catatonic, paralyzed feeling like somebody else makes the world and all you're left to do is react to it. No, no, no. Let's step into those waters. Yeah, yeah. And then you step in to the water. Pretty much every story you've ever heard somebody told you that inspired you, probably at some level, there's a good chance that somewhere in the story, the reason why the story moved you is somebody did not passively accept the world as it is. That somebody somewhere stepped into the water and did something new. Yeah. And they found themselves in the wilderness. And they discovered that there were structures that, authority structures that were disrupted or threatened by them stepping into the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. There are patterns here. There are, there are ways this plays itself out. Yep. So now more than ever, especially as we head in to whatever we're heading into, <laughs> wherever this whole thing is going, whatever 2020, I mean, 2020 showed up and was like, I'm a year. <laughs> Are you with me on this? 2020 is like, I got stuff for you all. Whew. Yeah. Now more than ever. We need better stories to understand who we are and what's happening here. Whatever these waters are, new creation. New creation. Yeah. And then you step in to the water. <sighs> well, my friends, now more than ever, may grace and peace be with you.